we are about to make the boldest claim that we ever have on Indubitably before. Kelly, are you ready for this? Is this when we finally talk about whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich? Oh, no, maybe not that bold. That might be a bit much. We're going to have to tackle that controversy eventually. Okay, eventually. But by the end of this episode, here's the claim. Our listeners will know the meaning of life. Uh, Okay, so this is a question that has plagued philosophers and religion and humanity and many a college classroom for decades, if not centuries. And we're going to be able to figure it out here today. Uh, None of those things are indubitably. So, yes. I think you have a lot more faith in us than I do. And maybe I'm the doubter. Maybe I'm the hater here. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Okay, fine. Maybe not definitely know the meaning of life. But I do think that we have managed to collect and organize a pretty comprehensive list of the major theories and schools of thought out there. And we'll be helping you all, listeners, at least begin the process of sorting through them and deciding for yourself what you think the meaning of life is. Or throw you into an existential crisis, one or the other. Mm. Maybe the meaning of life is simply to live in a perpetual state of existential crisis. Well, if that's the case, I've got it nailed. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. What is the meaning of life? We've got an hour today to tackle potentially the biggest question that we can ask as human beings. If we've only got an hour to do this, we probably need to tackle that question with some deliberate methodology here. Well, we're obviously not the first people to ask the question. We're just going to be the first ones to answer it. Humans have been wrestling with the purpose of our existence, I'd imagine, since we gained self-awareness. So there are lots of great thinkers and philosophers out there who have done a lot of the groundwork for us. We'll be using their thoughts and their words to help lead us through our conversation today. So what is the meaning of life? We're going to start with the question of, does life actually have meaning? And then if it does, is that meaning one of higher purpose or merely mechanical? We'll explain what that means. Assuming the answer to that is yes, it does have higher purpose. Is that purpose universal or can it change individual to individual? We'll ask if the meaning is likely something where you cater to yourself and your needs or to the needs and betterments of others. And I think last, we'll ask if you came to the end of this episode and you still don't have an answer, was this whole conversation pointless? Let's get into it then, starting with the big question from which all of the other questions will stem. Is there a meaning to life at all? Well, according to one of our deep thinkers that we said we would be referencing throughout this episode. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. 
Those are Shakespeare's words written for the character of Macbeth. And I'd say that they're a fairly strong indication that the character, at least, doesn't believe that life holds any meaning. Perhaps Shakespeare, by way of Macbeth, embraced a little bit of the philosophy of nihilism, which kind of objects to the entire premise of this conversation that we're having in the first place. Mm -hmm. Nihilism would argue that very directly there is no meaning of life. And so we're about to waste an hour of our time is, is essentially what I gather from that. Yeah, a lot of people frame nihilism as being a pretty depressing look at the world that life has no meaning. Therefore, there's no point in doing anything or seeking any sort of satisfaction or joy. Then a lot of people also look at nihilism as life is meaningless. Nothing means anything. I get to do whatever I want with it then. And I'm not bound by some sort of structure. I get to skateboard around and do fun shit, eat nachos. It's great. <laughs> All right. One point for nihilism, nachos. <laughs> we did ask our listeners, all of you, specifically the ones that listen on Spotify, to engage in the polls that we put up over the last two episodes, asking what you thought the meaning of life was. And Elizabeth certainly seems to agree with Macbeth here. Uh, maybe she's a fan of nachos. Her answer to what the meaning of life is was very succinct. Nothing. Period. And I think some nihilists would have said nothing exclamation point. The, the more enthusiastic nihilists, they feel great about <laughs> no meaning. Yeah, it could be very freeing. And realistically, when you consider humanity, in particular, a single human in comparison to the everything else that exists, nihilists may have a point. We're so tiny if we compare ourselves both in terms of scale to the universe or the length of our existence to all of the time that has come before us or all that will come after, it's hard to make a case that we matter or our lives matter at all. Perhaps. But I also think a lot about the what actually constitutes being a person. And there's so much about it that is re restrained to just our human shell. but. Humans also exist beyond just their time and place and physical corporeal existence, like our ideas, our legacies, our influence on the world all expand much further than just that small little ripple. So perhaps we are pretty small, but I think that there's at least the capability for humans to be bigger, at least metaphorically. Hmm. Or maybe even scientifically chemically, anatomically. The top four ingredients in life, in your body, top four atoms in order, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, those four atoms. Do you know what the top ingredients are in the universe? The top four chemically active atoms in the universe? Hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen. I am the universe. Yes! So upon learning that you're not special because you do not contain special ingredients is the same fact that includes the, the idea that while we live in this universe, the universe lives within us. See, humans, 
appear very small, but then if you look at things like atoms, we're kind of big, right? It's depending on the perspective that you come at it from. Mm. We contain so much of the universe within ourselves, and we seem like such a small part of the universe, but I'm so much more than just the atoms that comprise me. Well, we can thank Neil deGrasse Tyson there for making this even more confusing. (laughs) So we are either meaningless because we are completely ununique, or maybe that very same fact proves that we matter a lot and that we definitely, as individuals and as a species, have meaning. That sort of sentiment has become a pretty comforting refrain for a lot of people who do face things like an existential crisis or depressive episodes when we look at the world around us and we feel pretty insignificant to tell ourselves, but we're made of star stuff. (laughs) We are part of the universe and it is a part of us. And we are so big and so small simultaneously. And we matter because we're literal matter in the universe. What I think is interesting here, the idea that life has a purpose implies that life is something that was designed. If we're here randomly as just one of the unimaginable number of possible outcomes on an infinite collection of planets across the entirety of space and time, then our life has no more meaning than the number seven that happened to be rolled on a dice with infinite sides. So for us to say that our life has meaning implies that some greater power put us here for some greater purpose. Perhaps if you think that the meaning of life originates from something outside of you as a person, if it was something that was orchestrated without regard for whether or not you got to opt in to it, then maybe it was something that was deliberately organized by a higher power or cosmic architect or something like that. Hmm. That's true. Maybe that argument only applies as far as a universal meaning for life goes. I suppose there could be an argument that we came into the world without meaning, but then have evolved to the point that we can now assign meaning to ourselves, in which case that would be a strong argument for individualistic meaning, which we'll get to later. Uh, At least it would be less depressing than the idea that there's no point to us being here. It can be depressing, but free your mind and the rest will follow, as En Vogue said. Like, get away from this idea that there has to be some sort of purpose or significance and just kind of embrace existing and do whatever you want. Lots of nachos. Okay, but whatever I want, I have to have a way of deciding what that is. And if nihilists are correct about all of this, and life has no meaning, what do I do? That is an excellent question. And I truly believe that a lot of the different philosophies of life are kind of compatible with nihilism in a lot of ways. If nothing matters, then the absence of things might also be something that helps bring significance. And I think we can see this through a couple of different movements, such as minimalism or mindfulness or taking away distractions or finding ways to filter out noise in their lives and kind of embracing that there is a value in nothing and the absence of things that are 
anchoring us to a reality that we may or may not have really fully bought into. That's interesting. So I don't really buy the life means nothing bit, but I definitely think that there are probably things that we value as important in life that aren't. So a shift towards nihilism, a shift towards a lack of meaning might be useful for a lot of people. Like you said, minimalists, they're going to Marie Kondo their lives. I think you can see a lot of the ways in which significance comes out of nothing for a lot of people. We're so easily influenced into finding value in things that we previously never considered valuable because other people say, this is important, this is valuable, here's a habit you should try, here's a product you should buy. And if we come at it with our own organic perception of whether or not that thing is valuable, if we independently assess it, there's probably a lot less stuff that we would consider valuable. Do you think Marie Kondo would be able to teach me how to fold a fitted self-actualization? So this brings up a fun little conundrum for the nihilists. You're saying on one hand, okay, if life is meaningless, then all of this stuff and all of these ideas that we have ascribed meaning to in the past, we should be looking to shift away from that in order to have a more fulfilled life. But if you believe that there is no meaning, then that becomes a worldview in and of itself which means that you now believe in something, which means you can't be a nihilist. I don't know that that's true. Being an atheist is sort of like tying yourself to a concept in the belief of nothing, but it's not believing in something, is it? Well, but an atheist is, I don't believe in this one particular thing, but all this other stuff out there is still valid. Nihilism is belief in nothing. So at the point where you say, because I don't believe in anything, I'm going to start to get rid of stuff in my life because that's going to make my life more X. You now have something that you're moving towards. So as you move away from whatever meaning you had before, you are moving towards something else, which is not a nothing. Believing that nothing matters. It's just saying like, I'm free to do anything now. I'm free to take up any philosophies, ideologies, beliefs that I want, because if they don't matter, then I can't choose the wrong one. Hmm. I also think, though, that there's a certain relevance to Pascal's wager here. For those of you that might not be familiar with this, this is typically a way of thinking about whether or not God exists. And if you're not sure to believe in God or not, since Kelly brought up atheism, the safer of the two options is to believe that he exists. Because if there is no God, but you believe that there is, eh, it's not really going to matter. You don't really suffer based on that belief. But if there is a God and you say that there's not, one, you miss out on all the good stuff that he could have offered you. And two, we all know where you're going. So here in our scenario, if there is no meaning, if the nihilists are correct, what do you lose by trying to find that meaning? Is there really a downside to it? So you might as well believe in something. You don't think there's any cost to trying to find a meaning to life when there may not be one, but that takes us away from the present quite a bit to have these massive conversations and thought experiments. We want to live in the moment a little bit. Mm. I do think you lose more by saying, yeah, no meaning, 
you live your whole life and at the end you find out that you missed out on something, then some minor opportunity costs. But I think we'll cover that towards the end of the episode when we ask the question, even if we get to the end of all this and there is no answer, was it pointless? Our next topic, though, is that of determinism, which is an interesting segue from nihilism into some sort of meaning. Right. We touched on this a little bit with talking about that there may be meaning that exists, whether or not we agreed to it or acknowledged it or had any stake in its creation. It was decided for us. And actually, if you want to hear more about determinism, a little bit deeper than we're about to cover, we did do another episode on that recently, where we suggested, potentially, that as humans, we do not have free will, but that all of our decisions are predetermined by our biology, environment, deity, etc. Which makes us sound very much just like animals. Or puppets. As David Hume said... The life of man is of no greater importance to the universe than that of an oyster. Hmm. Well, that raises a fascinating question. Which is? Does an oyster's life have meaning? Oh, I thought you were going to say, do humans taste better with like hot sauce and lemon juice? (laughs) Wow. Okay, Kelly. Just this nihilism thing has got you thinking very morbidly. (laughs) I don't know. Who hasn't entertained at least the thought about cannibalism? Me? (laughs) All right. Well, back to the topic at hand. Does an oyster's life have meaning, Kelly? Well, an oyster doesn't even have the same type of nervous system that humans do. So whether or not it has meaning, would it even be able to perceive or understand that it does? Well, I think the argument here could be that life is its own purpose. With the vast diversity of life that exists just on Earth, the plethora of varying forms it takes, there's one thing in common. Every living thing is equipped and has an urge to propagate itself. We're born, we die, and at some point in between, we attempt to make another of ourselves to continue the cycle. The question is, does that imply purpose or a lack thereof? I've always considered the concept that life exists to propagate itself, to perpetuate itself, whatever, as sort of a tautology, life exists so that it can exist. I don't like circular arguments and I don't like truisms. And so this one feels really unsatisfying to me. Unsatisfying maybe, but if life is a good, then it would stand to reason that we would want to continue it. That seems like a reasonable purpose to me. Is life good? If we're all just cosmic accidents, do we really need to continue? (laughs) Well, so that sounds like an argument that no, if things are determined and our purpose is merely as a cog in a machine, it's still on the nihilist side of things. One way to think about this would be the cells in our body. They're alive and they work mindlessly to sustain a larger system, us that they happen to be part of. They have no choice, no purpose, no question of meaning. What if we as humans are simply cells of a larger system, be it humankind, life on earth, the universe, whatever? Yes, we're aware of the work that we're doing, and that's a difference, but does us being capable of observing the fact that we're doing work 
give that work any higher meaning. When we observe the work that ourselves do, does that impart a purpose onto that work that didn't exist previously? I'd say we're quite a bit different than cells in the fact that we can at least make some choices about what we're doing. If you believe that we have free will, a white blood cell cannot all of a sudden become a brain cell, but we can change careers. We can change our lives if we agree that we have free will. Mm -hmm. So again, there's, there's a couple places where this episode intersects with questions that we've already asked, determinism being one of them. If you want to help yourself make a decision on whether or not we are predestined to do all of the things that we will do, or if we have free will, I'd say listen to that episode. But there's an interesting conversation about even if our actions have been predetermined, is a mechanical purpose still a purpose? If we are a cog in a machine, is that still less satisfying? I'll grant you that, Kelly, but is that still a meaning? Well, then we get trapped in the question of whether or not a meaning has to be profound. A meaning can be functional. A cog leaving the machine causes the whole thing to collapse. And then whatever function it was trying to carry out can no longer be carried out. It's not beautiful or poetic, but it is purposeful. It's deliberate. It has some sort of need to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and if we start with the question of, is there a meaning at all? I suppose this is the next logical step. Uh, if there is a meaning, does it have to be profound? I don't think so. Well, isn't profundity subjective? And profundity, if that's a word, Kelly, is much more interesting than not. <laughs> so let's, for the rest of the episode, assume profundity. Let's do. <laughs> Additional questions about there being a meaning of life and whether or not it has some sort of significance also leads us to consider whether a meaning of life is categorical, universal for all people or organisms or individuals or what have you, or if a meaning of life is inherent to just the individual who experiences it and does not have some sort of larger widespread applicability. Hmm. So now we have, for the sake of argument, assumed that, yes, there is a meaning, and it's deeper than us just being whirly gigs or twirly-doos in, in the midst of a larger machine. <laughs> so we have come to a, a meaning that matters. Do we all experience the same meaning, or is potentially the meaning different for each one of us? It would be very convenient if there was one universal meaning. Well, luckily, we can refer to Douglas Adams in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. Oh, well, that was easy. Episode over. We promised we would answer the question for you. What is 42? <laughs> for those of you that haven't seen the movie this is after <laughs> the human race went to herculean efforts to build a supercomputer and then waited seven and a half million years uh, the the fact that douglas adams thinks that we'll survive that long is a little bit of a joke in and of itself but waited seven and a half million years for the answer and the answer turned out to be 42 Pretty sure what he was saying there is that this whole question is a waste of time. 
Does that mean he was a nihilist or that he simply just doesn't think that there's a universal answer? Not sure. I guess there is a difference between being a nihilist and being like, I don't care. Or maybe he cares, but he just doesn't think that it can be standardized. He thinks that it's something, as a lot of people think, that each one of us has to come to ourselves, arguing for the individual side of this question. I can see a lot of value in this type of approach towards a meaning of life. Because if you think about how we as people all have different preferences and values and expressions of creativity and what have you, why shouldn't we all have a different meaning in life? We're certainly different in a lot of ways, but we also, as DeGrasse Tyson reminded us, are very similar in a lot of ways. And we we certainly, as a species, have similar goals. Depending on where you're starting to fall on this question of what is the meaning of life, the theory we discussed already of determinism would certainly be universal, and so would nihilism if you think about it. But in my mind, the strongest argument for a universal meaning of life would be the flaws that exist in creating meaning on an individual basis. So, yes, I understand we're all different, but if there is no higher power assigning purpose, whether that be God or nature, what have you, then the meaning of life is not something inherent. It's something that we created as a species once we evolved to a level of consciousness where we were capable of doing so. And so if it's something that we are creating, there's some value in it being universal. Like, why shouldn't we create the most useful meaning of life possible? Could there be a broad meaning of life that people can individualize? For instance, if we go back to the idea that life exists to perpetuate itself, could that take on different meanings for different people? Some people say, have a lot of children. Other people say, devote your life to charity that helps people who are dealing with communicable diseases. Is that all the perpetuation of life, but just in different ways that appeal to the individual and leave room for there to be some sort of a universal idea that can be interpreted myriad ways? Or life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question, and you are the answer. That is Joseph Campbell. I keep trying to find a compromise between the large and the small, the individual and the universal. And there are just going to be those philosophers or theorists out there who say, nope, you got to choose one. And I, I kind of agree with, with this particular idea that Joseph Campbell has brought out. Because I like to think that I am the answer to a lot of questions. Oh, I know. (laughs) I am very important. (laughs) Here's the problem with that. If we all decide for ourselves what the meaning of life is, almost by definition, those meanings are going to come into conflict with each other. And likely, the vast majority of people will be unable to fulfill their meaning. And that is why, Kelly, it's so important that we're doing this episode. After this, everybody's going to be on the same page and things will go a lot more smoothly. But the world operates as if that's actually the case, though. If everybody's deciding what their meaning of life is and that comes into conflict with how everybody else defines it, then we've got wars and strife and hierarchy. 
which is exactly the world that we have right now. So it seems like that might be the most probable explanation for things. Hmm. So that's a functional argument that meaning should be universal, not an argument that the meaning of life is universal. Perhaps it's actually not an argument that it has to be universal because maybe that's the best way for the world to improve itself is to have so many different things come into conflict with each other. Our different ideologies come into conflict. Perhaps our different individual meanings of life come into conflict and out of it, out of the wars and strife and whatnot, a better society filled with better individuals will emerge. I'm going to save that clip right there, Kelly. That is the most capitalist I think I've ever heard you be. It's the marketplace of ideas. Free market solves. That's not really what I was getting at, but sometimes <laughs> I really hate when you when you point out something I've said that I would probably hate in a different context. <laughs> well, I guess my question, though, is if the meaning of life is not inherent, it's not something that the universe or a creator or nature has imposed onto us, if the meaning of life is something that we create ourselves, why not make it functional? That seems like it would be an important part of a purpose, that it can actually be fulfilled. If you agree that people are consciously deciding what their meaning of life is, rather than having some sort of gradual conclusion of what their meaning of life is that was brought forth by their subconscious and life experiences, I don't think people are sitting around saying, I believe the meaning of life is X, and this will help me become a better capitalist or what have you. So we are all coming to a meaning that is sounds like biologically determined, if that's the case, if we're not doing it consciously. When did you decide you liked one color more than the other? When did you decide if you liked chocolate or vanilla more? Or did it just feel like something that you kind of always knew about yourself? Oh, I mean, for our listeners that heard the episode on determinism, I am very strongly in the pro-determinist camp. So if you want a spoiler for this entire episode, (laughs) I don't think that we have choice over what our meaning is. I think that it's pre-programmed into us. I say we're a product of our environment in most, if not all cases. And that brings up an interesting point, though, is whether it's our environment, our biology, just human limitations, saying that the meaning of life should be chosen on an individual level assumes that each person has the capacity and the awareness to make that decision. And I'm just having talked to some people, not really sure that all of us are equipped to decide what the meaning of life is. What makes you equipped to decide what the meaning of life is? Oh, because I have the critical thinking skills and self-awareness of me as an individual and society at large honed through conversations on this podcast. Oh, so we are the authority on not only if there's a meaning of life and whether or not it's significant, but what it is for all of the other people who don't have the same level of critical thinking that we do. (laughs) Well, but realistically, whether it's us that people are coming to, which jokes aside, probably shouldn't be. But whether it's us or somebody else, most people on this planet do defer to some other authority on what the meaning of life should be. This is where it starts to become a little less of a subconscious process where we kind of organically emerge into the beings that we are 
but it's a little more perhaps insidious when other people or other influences can shape what we determine to be the meaning of life for ourselves. And that's when it becomes something like indoctrination. Certainly what people on our planet believe to be the meaning of life is quite often handed down to them. But that's not the question of this episode. The question of the episode is what is the meaning of life, not what do people believe the meaning of life to be. Although, if you are in the individualistic camp here, perhaps those are one and the same. If you, as an individual, whether it's because your parents indoctrinated you or not, have decided that the church is the ultimate authority on life, and then the church has handed down to you what the meaning of that life should be, if you live your life believing it and you are fulfilled because of it, whether that meaning was created authentically or not, is that the meaning of life? They're all living a lie. Buying into it and behaving as if it is the case does not necessarily make it the case. So agreeing that the way that one church has constructed the world should be how everybody does something does not make it the case that objectively, universally, that is the truth about what that meaning is. It just means that people are behaving as if it is the truth, but they can't possibly know that. So you don't think the benefits of striving towards a functional, universal meaning of life outweigh the costs to the point where you feel as though everybody should be trying to discover the meaning for themselves? I suppose. I don't think anybody's ever going to agree on what the functional best meaning is. Hmm. I mean, that's <laughs> very obvious, which is why we're still having this conversation and why we're doing this episode today. And I think moving to our next question, one of the areas where people disagree the most as to what the content of the meaning of life is, is should your life be lived for yourself or should your life be lived for others? So the questions we've asked so far have been sort of definitional. What is the meaning of life? First, we need to establish, is there a meaning at all? What is the meaning of life? Is that meaning the same for everybody or is it different for different people? Now we're getting to the actual content of let's assume that yes, there is a meaning and let's assume we're going to decide it. What should that meaning actually be? And first, let's hear the arguments for the meaning of life should be focused on ourselves and our own best interests and our own lives. This sounds a lot like hedonism. Hedonism is definitely the most fun philosophy when it comes to <laughs> the meaning of life is all about me. Hedonism isn't just living for yourself necessarily or putting your life's purpose into focusing on yourself. It is a level of indulgence for yourself that could actually be destructive. Yeah, destructive, who cares? You can live to be 100 if you give up all the things that make you want to live to be 100. Famous philosopher Woody Allen, if we can't agree on what the purpose of life is, we can't even agree that there is one, then why not just enjoy life as much as we possibly can in the time that we have? There's more to living a life for yourself than 
indulging in every base desire that a person has. Taking care of yourself is a way to focus on yourself that wouldn't be considered hedonism necessarily, but it would be expressing your value that you believe serving yourself is the ultimate meaning of your own life. Right. So even within this idea of meaning of life is self-centered, there's different schools of thought. Hedonism values, I suppose they would argue quality of life over quantity. And you are just living in the moment. You don't know when it's going to end. So you might as well, whatever base urge happens to tickle your fancy at that particular moment, that's what you do. That's the meaning of life. Kelly is over there being responsible and trying to live for more than 23 years. Uh, uh, give me 10 at best, right? I'm somewhere in the middle between hedonism and like actually taking care of myself. And I think that most people, if they do have a self-centered philosophy, are somewhere in the middle of that as well. They want to do what is right for themselves, but they also want to have a little fun. Like my nail polish addiction is not a functional need in my life, but it makes me pretty happy to treat myself to like thousands of dollars of nail polish every year. I think that hedonism also comes with it, at least a little bit of nihilism on an infinite timeline in the grand scheme of things, whether we live 100 years or 60 years or 30 years or 16 years, does it really matter? On a long enough timeline, everybody's life expectancy is zero. Exactly. Now we're getting into the real philosophers of the episode. Chuck Palahniuk. And speaking of which, we can't be collecting quotes about potential meanings of life without including the neo-existential school of thought defining philosophy. YOLO. (laughs) You only live once, Kelly. Enjoy it. YOLO is a pretty divisive meaning of life because a lot of people shout YOLO before doing something stupid that is very much not necessarily guaranteed, but very likely to end their lives prematurely. And if we only live the one time, then that's what they decide to do with it is like trying to like water ski off of their roof or something. But a lot of other people who do the you only live once thing means like this is your one opportunity to exist on the planet. So don't squander it. Do something that's actually going to make you happy. Do something valuable. Make sure you live a pretty long life. So there's a couple different schools of thought that emerge from YOLO. I think the ones that scream it out (laughs) to the world probably fall into the first camp more often than the second camp. For sure. But if you are a proponent of hedonism, you might identify more closely with Dionysus, the god of wine, than you do with Buddha. But focusing on yourself as the meaning of life doesn't necessarily have to mean that hedonism is your philosophy. Supposedly, on Buddha's journey to enlightenment, he actually spent a period of time as a hedonist, and he also spent time on the other side of the spectrum as an asceticist, which is the denial of fleeting pleasures. And what we come to now know as Buddhism, the road to enlightenment is sort of down the middle of those two schools of thought. Actually, the uh, denial of fleeting pleasures is a concept that a lot of people are not a lot of people, mostly like Silicon Valley bros, but people are starting to do dopamine fasting. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could probably actually use that. I'm on my phone way too much. I don't know how you actually operationalize it in a society because there can be things that you need to do functionally that might actually give you dopamine, like sleeping enough and drinking water. But 
it seems to be pretty evident that there's no way to sustainably be completely denying pleasures in life and also completely absorbing nothing but pleasures in life. So being somewhere in the middle seems like the most appropriate approach. I get most of my dopamine when I open up our Twitter account or our Facebook account, both of which are at Indubitably Pod, and I see that one of our listeners has contacted us or emailed us at indubitablypodcast at gmail.com. True story. We had somebody reach out to us and Josh let me know. And he said, save it up for when you need to be perked up or need to be cheered up sometime because it was a really nice message. But I went ahead and read it anyway because I'm a hedonist. (laughs) Yes, you did. And uh, just as a shout out, that person's name was Christian Lopez. So thank you for the message. We actually do read them. But back to enlightenment. Enlightenment might seem like a self-centered goal of life. I would like to become enlightened. I would like to be led to nirvana if you are Buddhist. But a lot of schools of thought actually think that the point of becoming enlightened yourself is to allow you to then lead others to enlightenment. So a lot of times self and others could go hand in hand, but oftentimes it comes at the expense of others. And I think that brings up an interesting question. Do we have an obligation to the people around us? Do I need to care about other human beings as I decide what the meaning of my life should be? This reminds me of a tweet I see float around every once in a while when we're talking about pieces of legislation or elections in which people choose the like deliberately cruel side of the thing. The tweet says something to the effect of, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about people. Like why why you should maybe want, I don't know, fewer kids to die in like mass shootings. I, I, even if it's irrelevant to the question of the meaning of life, It seems pretty evident that we have to care about others in order for society to function so that people can survive it. Well, and here's the thing. I actually would argue that the need to care about others for the survival of the species is one of the biologically determined urges that we talked about earlier. We have this need to create and prepare future generations. And it's true, we used to need each other for our own survival, but we don't anymore. We're not being hunted by lions. There's not snakes hanging from trees. Well, there are, but I stay away from those places. So in a way, if the end goal of helping other people is our own survival, then that's a selfish instinct too. And now that we don't need them, let's just cut out the middle person and be selfish straight up. We still need other people, though. We've built systems that are reliant on there being a plurality of opinions or engagement. We maybe don't need necessarily everybody to be invested in our self-defense because that is the way they reliably make sure their self-defense is taken care of. But we kind of do because we still rely so much on participating in a collective something in order to get back for ourselves something in return. But on on a whole, do you think that living in society right now, you would benefit more from more often than not taking advantage of other people or more often than not giving of yourself for the best interests of other people? 
if we agree that other people are like NPCs and they aren't going to retaliate, then it would make sense to take advantage of them. But taking advantage of people who have agency and a thirst for revenge, there are a lot of Scorpios out there. It doesn't make sense to take advantage of other people because there is the very probable result that they will do in kind to you. Okay, but e- even if you're right there, and I'm I'm not convinced, I think that with the society we have now, capitalism, etc., I think that you're probably better off if you're always looking out for number one, even if that's not true, and you have a vested interest in helping other people. If the end goal of that is, well, I want to make sure that they help me or at least don't hurt me in the long run, aren't you still just looking out for yourself? It's not like you're out there being, you know, this altruistic, wonderful human being and your meaning of life is rooted in the well-being of other people. It's still you looking out for you. It is, but I don't think it's exploitative because everybody else is also engaging in it to the exact same degree. If it was something along the lines where you were manipulating others into caring about you, like I'm going to mow their lawn so they give me all their money or something like that, that's not what's happening. It's, It's usually a very fair knowing exchange of community care in even people who don't agree in things like the collective still do things for like their neighbors because then their neighbors look out for them if they're out of town and see like somebody prowling in their backyard. There is an inherent need for community and everybody participates in it more or less to the same degree. That reminds me of the quote we asked Rob Bowler, who was a guest in our previous episode. And even though my confidence in his opinions has been lessened since he gave you the win in that debate. Uh, At the beginning of the episode, before he made that mistake, we asked him what he thought the meaning of life was. And he gave us a quote by Rabindranath Tagore. And he said, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. That would certainly defend what you're saying here, which is you can find selfish meaning through working for others. I think that quote is saying more that the act of service in and of itself is the joy, not necessarily what it might pay you in return. That giving of yourself, whether or not you benefit from it personally, is the ultimate objective. But when we're talking about the meaning of life here, I'm not saying that you're going to benefit in terms of like safety or wealth. We're talking about self-actualization. And when you say that service was joy, you are gaining that self-actualization. You're gaining that meaning. So you're certainly benefiting from the work that you're doing for other people, at least in that way. Does self-actualization have to be amorphous and conceptual? Or can it have some tie to what we actually get in return for what we do? And perhaps there's another debate embedded within this, which is the question of, is there such a thing as altruism? Is it possible to do something just for somebody else? Or even if it's just that warm, fuzzy feeling, when we act on behalf of others, do we always get at least a little something out of it? Hey, don't we have an episode talking about altruism? Effective altruism. And we do ask the question of whether or not altruism exists a bit. We've talked a lot. We've talked about a lot of things on this show. It's fun how they all intertwine, though. 
we are seeing more and more as we put out more and more episodes that a lot of these concepts interact with each other in, I think, interesting ways. But for the purposes of this discussion, what is the meaning of life? Is the question of altruism an additional burden we have to to meet? Well, there's another philosophy, I think, that would suggest what you're getting at, which is that we don't necessarily have to separate these things. And that would be the Japanese theory of ikigai. And they basically say, as you're trying to discover your purpose in the world, you should consider four things. You should try to find A, what you love, B, what you're good at, C, what the world needs, and D, what you can get paid for. And if you can find the thing that brings all four of those together, you've found your meaning in life. And that's a very clean way of discovering what your meaning is or what you should do. Right. And it incorporates a lot of the different levels of this discussion that we've been having. It talks about what you as a person are looking for, but also there is some tie to everything outside of the self as well. Mm -hmm. It's certainly something that as the average adult looking to find purpose in their day-to-day efforts can give some answers, but it's not perfect. I think there are a couple problems with it. It's very seemingly career focused. Uh, What about family relationships or retirement where maybe one or more of those four don't necessarily apply as much to your life anymore? Or that when you are looking at all those other values, you have to keep in mind the practical part of things as well. Like if I was doing exclusively what I loved, I probably wouldn't be getting paid very much. It would be very hard to function and keep a roof over my head. So it's implying a balance, I feel, that we have to keep in mind what actually fills our cup, but we have to remember that we have to purchase the cup in the first place. (laughs) Well, and also, uh, I I think that we need to keep in mind that maybe that ikigai, maybe that thing doesn't exist. Uh, Just to be blunt, maybe there is not a career or a purpose out there that hits all four of those marks. Or maybe there is, but you're in a situation where you don't have the opportunity to pursue it. Just realistically, there are barriers to entry for many careers out there. Perhaps you would find fulfillment as someone who represents refugees in court. You love doing it. The people need it. You can be paid for it. Maybe you would be good at it. But if you can't afford to go to law school or you don't get the opportunity to go to law school, it's not going to happen for you. Right. And that speaks to a larger part of the question that I don't think we've acknowledged yet is that having a meaning of life or being able to consider the question of the meaning of life is a privilege because if you're barely existing, you're probably not afforded much opportunity to think like, how is this like validating me as a person? Mm -hmm. There's Maslow's hierarchy of needs where at the most basic level, we have our physiological needs. We just need to eat. And and sometimes finding an immediate job that feeds me now means that I don't have the opportunity to go to law school to become that lawyer who will be able to improve the lives of underrepresented clients. Once you've met these baseline needs that keep you alive, there are subsequent things that you need in order to keep you alive longer and then to make your life worth living. So above the physiological needs like 
water and food. You have safety and security. Then there's love and belonging. And then beyond that, there's also self-esteem. And above all that, the very peak of this pyramid is self-actualization. So that's a lot to get through if you want to find your ikigai, which likely comes at the tip of this pyramid. You have found the thing that actualizes yourself. So maybe the question of is there a meaning of life and what it is, is irrelevant to most people because how many people can get to the point of self-actualization? And that leads us to the last question of today's episode and why we put this on here is even if there is a meaning of life, maybe you can't reach it, but there's certainly a possibility that reach it or not, there isn't any. Maybe the nihilists are right. And so an hour-long conversation for us, a millennia of humans asking this question, is there a benefit of asking this question if there is no answer to it? Or at the very least, if you don't come to an answer, whether the answer is out there in the universe or not is a different story. I used to be very frustrated with philosophy holistically because I felt like it was a waste of time and energy to focus so much on these questions that I didn't feel mattered whether or not they're answered when we have things like the strife, the wars, the discord to deal with. But I see now that there is so much of how society organizes itself and chooses how it prioritizes its resources that comes from the pursuit of the answers in these questions. So whether or not each individual is going to be able to determine what the meaning of life is, if it's even possible, yeah, that may appear to be like a waste of time because we're never going to get that answer. Like, let's be real. We're probably not going to be able to solve it, at least on this episode. Speak for yourself. <laughs> right. Okay, fine. Sorry, Josh. I forgot you're a philosopher king. Mm -hmm. But the pursuit of that has brought forth a lot of other questions about how society functions. I Yeah, I don't take well to philosophy in general. And I do think that there's probably better things that people could be doing with their time. But people are going to dedicate their time to this, whether or not I agree with it. I think you're certainly right. If we go through the questions that we asked today, is there a meaning or not? Mm, Hyper-theoretical. We're probably not going to be able to answer it. But the idea that there could be a meaning perhaps gives us motivation to move our way forward to some of the other questions that I do think certainly have value, even if we don't answer them completely. Specifically, I'm thinking of universality versus individualism. The section of the episode where we were discussing that, certainly we went back and forth and back and forth. And I think a couple of times you said, well, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And you know, for the sake of a debate, a lot of times we take extreme sides and pit them against each other as a thought experiment. But probably you're right. Probably the answer is a little bit universal and a little bit individualistic. At least asking that question helps us make a better judgment as to where on balance we lie between those two things. It's definitely common for people to have a position that they've arrived at and then hitch their wagon and consider it job done. Whereas having the discussion at all gives people the possibility of entertaining at least an alternative. And even if they don't change their mind, it's a means of understanding what the other perspectives are and having open and honest discussions amongst people who hold competing ideas. 
And speaking of other, that's the other question I think that is valuable here. And, and you can come to an answer that you're at least comfortable with. That was the question of how much should the meaning of life cater to yourself versus how much of the meaning of life is about service to others. And I think for all of us, that is actually a very important question to ask ourselves. As you put it, Kelly, it would be nice to to be able to fill your cup with these altruistic acts that you take on behalf of other people, but you need to also be able to buy the cup in the first place. And so all of us wrestle with what is fair for me to take for my own versus at a certain level of privilege, I now have a responsibility to give to the people around me. And so by starting with this question of what is the meaning of life, even if we lied to you at the beginning of the episode and we didn't actually give you the answer by the end, I'm sorry about that. Maybe we gave you some interesting things or useful things to think about in the meantime. What do you think the meaning of life is? Well, right off the bat, as I said earlier, I'm definitely in the determinist camp. So I think that my answer now was not necessarily my own choice. But with that caveat aside, I would say I'm somewhere on the balance of living in the moment and chasing the feelings and pursuits and relationships that give me selfishly value. Uh, Balancing that out with trying to do the right thing for the people around me, but also realizing that one of the big reasons that I do the right thing for people around me is because it does make me feel fulfilled as well. So that's me trying not to sound totally selfish, but quite possibly my biology has determined that I'm a little bit selfish at least. What about you? Do you have a less self-absorbed answer? You know, I think our answers are pretty similar, but I'm coming at it from not the determinist viewpoint. I don't think anything's been decided beforehand, but I want to live my life in a way that I don't regret at a minimum. And it makes me feel some sort of satisfaction and have that sort of meaning and depth in it when I look back on it. So cultivating relationships that I find important that make me feel good in the process as well, doing things that I both enjoy and serve the functional needs that keep me alive, because I kind of like to do that and would like to continue doing that. So it does come back to feeding into myself. And as a byproduct, I feel good when I do things for the people that I care about. And I feel good when I express that I care about my friends and my family. And I think I probably would still do that even if I didn't get some sort of nice warm fuzzies as a result of it. But I do get the warm fuzzies. So I'm not just doing it for them. I'm doing it for me too. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully our selfishness does not make us bad people, but the altruistic acts that we do, are they altruistic though? In the pursuit of selfishness makes us okay. I don't think I've done an altruistic thing in my entire life. (laughs) I believe that. (laughs) We are going to ask one more time. The last two episodes, the Q&A on Spotify has been, what is the meaning of life to help us prepare for this episode? And besides the ones that we cited already, we got a couple other answers. One, it is whatever meaning you choose to give your life. So Arian is on the side of individualism from Quiralos, I believe. The meaning of life is the struggle of atoms for supremacy over other atoms. So sounds like he's on the side of determinism. And Saracen sounds a bit like you and I, Kelly. 
You decide the meaning of life for yourself. I think the choice should be led by what is the most important thing in life, and that is to be happy. What makes you happy should be your meaning. Love everyone. Be happy. So a little bit about me, a little bit about them. I like that. Now that we've had this conversation and you've all learned so much, perhaps you have had the epiphany as to what the meaning of life actually is. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, We're going to post the question one more time on the Spotify episode for you to answer and tell us what you believe the meaning of life is. And hopefully you agree with me and I further dominate the argumentative space of this podcast. (laughs) I don't think we were too far off from each other in this one, though, to be fair. No, I think the real debate between us is the determinist one. We already hashed that out on that different episode. Mm. We haven't left you all at the end of an episode with a quote in a while, but for this particular topic, I think that we found the perfect one. So here for your listening pleasure as we play our way out by Kurt Vonnegut in Cat's Cradle is a quotation where I will play man and Kelly will play God. And this is definitely going to go to my head. In the beginning, God created the earth, and he looked upon it in his cosmic loneliness. And God said, Let us make living creatures out of mud, so the mud can see what we have done. And God created every living creature that now moveth, and one was man. Mud as man alone could speak. God leaned close to mud as man sat up, looked around, and spoke. Man blinked. What is the purpose of all this? He asked politely. Everything must have a purpose? Asked God. And certainly, said man. Then I leave it to you to think of one for all this. And he went away.